Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jacquez. Just like the spring game, we've got a full house this evening, and uh, there's already giggling happening uh, on the background here. Tyler, Corbin, guys, how are we doing? Tyler, I've it's... heard dishes crash in a dog toy, and we are 10 seconds uh, <laughs> It's It's not off to a good start, no, but uh, we're, we're hanging in there. How, how are you guys doing? I'm not sunburned. I am impressed. I, I'm always worried about that. The first game back, and I know going in, put on some sunscreen. It wasn't too sunny, so uh, I guess I, I lucked out at the spring game. But um, overall, I'm, I'm super happy. Baseball's going well. We've got a big optimism segment uh, later in the podcast for baseball. And um, how could you not love the spring game? So Did they did they kill the Kansas ba- baseball program after this past weekend? I mean, you give up 24 runs on a Sunday game. That's as You, you cool kind of have to, right? As cool as that is, pretty much everybody's doing that to Kansas this year. Uh, I think Tech put on 28 on them earlier in the season. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. Well, so well, good deal. Good deal. That's. Yeah. Uh, it looks like we're gonna have a lot to look forward to with Adam's optimism here a little bit later tonight. So, but yeah, let's uh, let's dive into it, guys. I uh, do want to kind of start the show off tonight um, by first paying a big compliment to the Oklahoma fan base. You know. Um, driving to campus you know we, we live right here i live here in norman adam you live in oklahoma city um i actually left my house i think it was around 11 30 drove to campus and you know three and a half hours before kickoff certain spots on i-35 uh even you know on main and Lindsay street you know there were certain portions where you know it's standstill traffic so um hang on just a second i got the dog here let me get rid of the adam t- take it real quick and- what's what's your dog's name again tyler yeah, let's not dive into that. <laughs> Adam, I, I, I obviously wasn't in the crowd, but uh, man, it was impressive watching on TV. Um, just not only the the crowd to start the game, but the crowd continuing to grow uh, when the game was uh, in progress. So it was it was a sight to see. I've never seen anything like that for a spring game. Yeah, it was crazy. I got there right as gates opened, and it was probably for the best because I knew the lines were super long and. People were really upset about that. I get it. But like those gates were announced beforehand. If people had checked the information, they would have known only certain gates were going to be open. They should have Shocker. arrived earlier, so on and so forth. I I don't know if I'm getting on a little soapbox here, but I was just thinking about this, you know, listening to the post-game press conference and how Venables was ta- telling stories about, hey, we had to drag uh, Marvin Mims. I think it was Marvin Mims and Dylan Gabriel out of the locker yeah. room at halftime because they were so busy cleaning up the locker room because they had so bought into the message and the standard for what this program needs to be under Brent Venables. And I want that from the fan base going forward. The first step was show up, show out. Yes, we got 75,000 at the spring game, but let's do it. Whether there's long lines, whether it's hot, whether it's an 11 a.m. kickoff, so on and so forth. Like you have a long drive, whatever it takes, show up, be there, be loud, stand on your feet, make some noise. Let's cut the complaining. Let's be there for the program and for the team. Just the way that the the team is bought into that message. I want the fan base to do that even more so. Um, you know, there's it's not going to be the most comfortable experience. It's always going to be better to stay at home at this point. But yeah, let's make sacrifice the same way the team is doing. It's it's what we can do as as our part. You know, it's it's little, but we can make a difference there. Well, p- pardon the interruption before that, but no, like I was saying, you know, I, I got to campus around 1140, uh, 12 o'clock. Um, we went to a lunch at the, um, over at, over at Everest. And I, I can remember, you know, telling my dad driving in, this feels like a game day atmosphere, like not just a spring game, um, not a glorified scrimmage. Like this feels like an actual big 12 conference type of atmosphere, um, driving in. So we were eating lunch and I think it was around one thirty or so. 
Uh, Adam, you told me you were inside, and I started seeing pictures of the crowd on Twitter. And this was an hour and a half beforehand. So I was like, hey, guys, we need to go. We need to start making our way over there. Waited in line for about 20 to 30 minutes. Wasn't as bad as what people were saying online. Um, But, you know, guys, I I know on this podcast there's been times where – uh, we've been pretty hard on OU fans not being able to deliver a big time, you know, game day atmosphere inside the palace. Well, you dang sure can't say that about this past Saturday because that was awesome. Seventy five thousand three hundred sixty for a spring game. Um, shout out to Sooner Nation on this one for delivering what was the biggest spring game in OU history uh, and what was, you know, by far the biggest spring game attendance in college football this offseason. So uh, it, it was absolutely fantastic. Adam, I did want to throw this over to you. What did you think of the new traditions? that Venable started on Saturday. You know, it was uh, started things off in, in warm-ups, kind of the brothers in arms march all the way up to the goal line, uh, singing the alma mater in the post game after, uh, you know, after the final whistle and went off. So just kind of what were some of your thoughts on the things going, going on around the game and some of the new things that Venables is kind of uh, starting his own traditions here at Oklahoma. Is brothers in arms the name of that? Has it been given a name? That's just what I called it. Okay. I, I don't know if, if it was on TV, maybe everyone hadn't seen that, but basically they lock arms at about the 20 yard line, walk to the goal line together, and then immediately split into their different position groups for warmups. I I don't know. It didn't I thought it, didn't it was strike. awesome. Okay, so I probably had the opposite reaction. I didn't like hate it or anything. I was just like, I don't really get it or care. Maybe over time yeah. it'll grow on me, or maybe there's um, you know, music or something that'll be accompanied with that that'll become you know, part of, of history or whatever that I'll enjoy and look forward to each year. But I was like, I don't, I don't really care. Um, I did think what was kind of funny was what I noticed was, I believe it was Daniel Parker was not in the line locked arms. So he was trying to get in and he pulled big old Bray Walker out of his spot in the line, pushed him all the way to the end of the line and took his spot. And I thought that was just funny that Bray Walker just let him do that. The biggest guy on the team. But um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't love it. Didn't hate it. It was just kind of neutral. Corbin, I know you, um, you know, didn't get a chance to make it down, but you were able to watch a little bit yeah. of it on on TV. Just kind of, what were your impressions on the crowd and what the atmosphere looked like? Man, it was impressive. Uh, I mean, just not only seeing it, you know, live, but as like I was telling Adam a second ago, it, there was the crowd that started the game and then it continued to grow, and which was which was crazy. And it's testament to how long the lines probably were. Um, you know, once everybody gets normal spring game, you kind of just walk up and go inside and go sit down and don't really think twice about it. So I uh, can only imagine what the environment was like, but it was great on TV. As far as, you know, some of the other stuff, you know, the some of the halftime stuff, I, I'm okay with it now. Um, you know, I think I can probably speak for most of the fan base, the locking arms, the singing the school song, the uh when Brent just has the microphone and just seems to be going rogue, all is fine now. Yep. It's not going to be fine if you go out and lose three or four games next season. Um, and so the buy-in's great. Pulling guys out of the locker room because they're cleaning up the locker room is great until you lose a few games, you know? And so we're still in the honeymoon phase and that's fine. Let's enjoy it while we have it. Um, but again, all that stuff's going to go away and fans aren't going to love hearing about that as much if you go and lose up in Lincoln, you know, second game of the season next year. So well, Corbin's I think that's a downer, cute. right? Yeah, hey, Corbin's, Corbin's I'm, a, already... I'm a realistic person. That's fair. I, yeah, but I also think you've got to be realistic to where you've got to give Venables time. And, you know, the, there was one of the things that Chris Plank was talking about on the radio yesterday. And I, I think that, you know, take away the X's and the O's. I think the most impressive thing that, that we've seen over the last four months is, you know, Venables has been on campus 
what, three and a half, four months now. What he's been able to do for this program, changing the culture inside this football program while also kind of re-energizing the fan base. I don't know if re-energizing is the right word, but, you know, everything that's gone on after Bedlam of this past year, you know, we're still kind of riding the, you know, you know Lincoln Riley's, you know, piece of shit going to Southern California, calling Coward each and every day. I kind of feel like Saturday was an opportunity for us to kind of move past that um, at a standpoint. And I, you know, do kind of want to transition into Baker here. Uh, we can touch on the statue here for just a little bit. It looked much better in person on Saturday. Uh, the images we saw of it on Friday night were just, just plain awful. I don't know if it was the lighting, if it was the camera angle, um, didn't really define the classic headband that we've grown so accustomed to Baker wearing. Uh, you know, year in and year out. So it just kind of made the the artist kind of look like it just gave him a giant-ass forehead. So uh, I think there was even one picture you sent me, Adam, it looked like he had two right feet. And it's like, surely there's no way that they could have screwed something up that bad. But no, the halftime ceremony, Adam, I'm not going to lie, it was it was pretty dusty where I was sitting. And, you know, the video tributes that OU put together for him were fantastic. And I don't know, I feel like everyone has their favorite play or story about six, but I think it's pretty cool for us, Corbin, you know, that Baker was our quarterback, you know, when during our time in school at Oklahoma. And, you know, fast forward a year later, when all three of us started working at, at, uh, at OU, that was Baker's final year in Norman. So I kind of feel like all three of us kind of have a unique – aspect in in point of view in terms of being at Oklahoma while we saw Baker go through his progression starting as a walk-on all the way to winning a Heisman Trophy and being the NFL's number one draft pick so it was just kind of a kind of a full circle moment um, and it couldn't happen to a better guy I think as much as it meant to the fans and the crowd it probably meant equally as much to Baker um, just for everything that he's going through on the professional level right now. You know, it's been a rough few weeks, a couple months. Um, and so I think not that he wouldn't have appreciated it if everything was going well in the NFL for him right now, but I think it did mean a little bit more just based on the timing that was happening. Um, and so it was. I think it was Im- Im- important to see, because we, we don't get to see vulnerable Baker very much. And so it was nice to see him just kind of be vulnerable with his OU family, you know, something that, um, you know, a lot of people will add the title, you know, arrogant, cocky, things like that to Baker. And that's fine because he does, you know, that's our accurate attributes of him. But to see him in a different light where it was just complete humility um, and just for him to explain how much it meant to, you know, not only him, but obviously his family was impacted um, you know, pretty heavily by this whole uh, presentation thing as well. So it was just, it was cool all the way around, but yeah, I think it, uh, it was cool just to, to kind of just see him in a different light than a lot of the media puts him in. What a valuable as- asset he's going to be for the university whenever he retires from the NFL, because you know, he's not going to be far away. Um, he may, may have multiple homes around the country at that point, but he's going to spend a lot of time in Norman. He's going to have a role in whatever success this football program has. Um, I know a lot of people say they want him to head up some of the NIL initiatives. Maybe he's a, um, you know, relations to former players type of guy. There's so many different roles he could fill that would just be huge for the program. So hopefully that day happens after maybe some Super Bowl runs. But, yeah. um, you know, who knows? It could be sooner rather than later. We'll, we'll see. We, we can't forget that he did say we're back, and that did make me cringe. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> but then he also said, but then again, we never really left. So I can kind of give him a little bit of pass on that. He didn't go full Sam Ellinger uh, when he had the mic on his hand, but uh, you just you just know the minute OU loses a game, somebody's going to pull that clip out, oh, yeah. uh, and it's going to be all well, over social it didn't, media. But- it didn't go viral that much on social media after the fact. So 
I'm yeah. hoping people forget about that a little bit. I, I think, honestly, probably one of the best words that you could use to describe this weekend, not just for OU fans, but also for Baker, is it, it was therapeutic. I think it was really good for for all parties involved. And, you know, especially Baker with all, this, all the stuff that he's going through right now, he, you know, with the Cleveland Browns, the uncertainty of where he's going to be playing next year. Him being able to come back for a few days, you know, he was – he we saw the post. He took the job at Tarim Haras. He talked to the team Friday morning. He got honored at the Friday night uh, unveiling. And then I, I think Saturday, him being able to be around a bunch of his former coaches, players, teammates, uh, and you know, on Saturday afternoon, seventy-five thousand three hundred sixty of his closest friends. I knew the statue reveal was going to be special, but the halftime just kind of verified. I think what we already knew, um, and that's the Baker is without a doubt the most beloved Sooner of all time, and I don't think it's close. Kyler Murray was also there wearing a baseball jersey, which is pretty cool. I've heard some people say that he was wearing number 43 because his high school record was 43 and 0. I yeah, took that as, oh, that's Jason Ruffcorn, the guy that was his teammate when he was redshirting after transferring ah, from AM. Okay. I don't know if that's true necessarily or not, but I thought that was pretty cool. And it made me want to take, I guess, a quick guess of like, what is his pose going to be? Because I think the most famous photo of him is in a loss to Texas. I don't know yeah. that you can make that the statue. It's got to be. It's got to be him running the ball, doesn't it? Like the the most notable one to me comes from the Army game, where kind of once he 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 has that really good run down the sideline. Then once he gets to about the five yard line, he kind of skips mm-hmm. and he's got the ball kind of held out right there. I don't know if you can yeah. do that. He definitely holds a, the ball uh, out in front of him. Yeah, yeah. as a yeah. sculptor, I don't know you know the logistics behind all that, but yeah, uh, no, it's uh, we're gonna ha- we're gonna be able to do this celebration all over again next off season, and it's uh, not so many programs have that luxury. Do we know for sure he's being honored next off season? I I think, I think that so. the statue has been ordered, but I don't necessarily know that it's for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's two away. Yeah. Space did you out. did you see on the did you see on the back of Baker's statue where they had like the name of the artist and it said twenty I think it was twenty nineteen or twenty twenty so that statue's been done for oh, yeah. close to two years now mm-hmm. so it wouldn't surprise me if Kyler's is you know either done it's or being close. started or maybe it's maybe it's done but yeah. let's uh let's kind of talk uh, talk about the game here corbin i'll throw this over to you man um i guess when you start on the offensive side of the football here um uh, brand new quarterback brand new mm-hmm. offensive coordinator a lot of new skill a lot of new skill players what uh what were kind of some of your impressions from what we saw from dylan gabriel uh we'll, we'll stick with quarterbacks for right now yeah i thought he seemed poised um you know as adam mentioned i think on last week's pod you know this is the biggest crowd Dylan Gabriel's ever played in and it's a spring game um you know and so I think all those things considered you've got a historic you know Heisman Trophy winning quarterback coming back um the legacy to be of being a a quarterback in Oklahoma all those things have to come into play regardless of how composed and casual you are um I would give him like a b minus I thought he had some really good throws I think the there, the two biggest takeaways for me is the tempo that the coach Levy is going to play with will help the inefficiencies that I think Gabriel has. I think it'll help hide some of that stuff. I think that'll be very important. But one thing that was also very obvious is if Dylan Gabriel goes down, this team is in significant trouble. Um, and so I know Adam's guy, um, you know, number two on the roster, Micah number Bowens, you know, has a dime, you know, but I'm not buying that quite yet. Um, but I think – I think Dylan Gabriel can be good enough for OU to win this conference. Um, is he good enough to lead this team into a playoff victory or like a national championship run? I'm, I'm not quite there yet. But I think overall, first impressions, it was good, but definitely room to be, you know, to see some improvement. 
don't get used to uh, looking at the replays on the video board because I got caught several times looking up, watching a replay, and then a play had already happened uh, on yes. the field in front of me. Yes. The pace of this offense was insane, and it really was only under Dylan Gabriel, which is awesome. That tells you, hey, maybe he's ready to lead this team a little bit faster than we thought, just knowing the system. It is interesting with the red team, he was 10 of 13. Uh, with the white team, he was only 9 of 15. So we'll do a deep dive on what that means. Mims and Weiss on the, <laughs> the red team. So that yeah, may answer that helps. that. That helps. But then you look behind him and pretty much nobody got any type of showcase. Ralph Rucker was the next closest with nine total passes. Um, Nick Evers basically didn't get much of a chance at all. Dropped back five times, sacked four times, and then the other was an incompletion. So it just can, there wasn't uh, much of an opportunity for any of the other guys to get a rhythm there. Can Jackson Arnold reclassify to twenty twenty two? Is it too Do you think too late for that? I, 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 I don't better, know. Well, I don't want to put. Today. I I think that's probably a safe bet. And again, I don't want to. I don't want this to turn into you know a podcast where we're blasting Nick Average a true freshman. But I mean, you could you could tell from the get go, the it, it, it was a little too quick for him. You know. To, to, wasn't you know really able to keep up go through his progressions in time speed of the game was a little bit too too much for him but you know he's a true freshman he's still supposed to be in high school right now so he's going to grow things are going to slow down for him over time uh when talking about dylan gabriel the first thing that i thought about when looking at the stat sheet 28 attempts you know how many how often is it that you see a quarterback playing for both teams or how how common is it that you see a guy attempting close to 30 passes and guys let's not forget this guy hasn't played you know a meaningful live rep of football dating all the way back to the first month of last season. He spent most of last year hurt uh, with a broken collarbone. So I think that that was, that was very, definitely very intentional by Venables and Jeff Levy to get him back out there, get him some more experience, like you said, Corbin, in front of 75,000 fans. Uh, even going on the road in Big 12 games this, this season, you're not going to play in front of 75,000 fans. Um, honestly, I don't think anywhere. Um, so d- very good outing for him. Um, uh, honestly, some of the big takeaways from him, it's kind of hard to throw when the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour, but you can definitely tell watching him throw the football. He's got some zip on it. Uh, he's definitely got a live arm kind of coming out too, of his hands. Too much zip sometimes. Too much. Yeah. yeah. T- 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 yeah. Turn that uh, 98 mile an hour fastball. Let's let's dial that back a little bit. But no, mm-hmm. I and then also I think my favorite play of the day that he made. Um, we knew that he was an athletic guy. He's got some mobility to him, but it was right there on that very first series where the play kind of broke down. He scrambled outside the pocket to his left and was able to make that big-time throw to, to Theo Weiss, which set him up at the one-yard line. So, um, no, I it's a spring game. Things are going to look a lot different in the fall. I mean, hell, Kyler Murray was downright awful in his spring game, and eight months later he's holding the Heisman Trophy. So, um, guys, I guess w- one last thing to put a bow on this. Did you see anything from Gabriel on Saturday that makes you feel better or worse about Oklahoma's offense going into this fall? I feel about the I same. You- I mean, okay. I, I wouldn't say it's worse or better. He's kind of about you know level there. It is interesting to know that his plan is to play one year and go pro. I, I just don't know that there's going to be enough jump in his game to really warrant much more than maybe like a third, fourth round pick necessarily. And maybe that's good enough for him. But I also wonder what that means from a transfer portal perspective, because some other guys may look at him and go, yeah, he's not leaving after this year. Why would I come in with the expectation of playing in 2023? Um, Shout out to to Stoops bros. He uh, noticed that uh, Jeff Lubby's following Emory Jones. Now the uh, transfer from Florida. I don't think he's great or anything, but I think he's looking for playing time. And I think that's going to be the case with pretty much everyone in the portal. So I just don't know what you're you're going to get. It feels like at best, you're probably getting another Micah Bowens type. It's exactly what you're getting. 
And I think yeah. that's all you can expect to get. But unless you can one, make the sell that Dylan's gone after this year. Uh, yeah, I just don't see that. I don't know how you do that. But you've definitely got to go into the transfer portal and bring somebody in because you're one snap away, and we all saw it on Saturday. I mean, Ralph Rucker, Ben Harris, Micah Bowens, Nick Evers. It's it's a pretty significant drop off going from Gabriel to those four. So, and Gabriel um, does have an injury history. So, mm-hmm. yes, hundred percent. That makes me nervous. Yeah. Um, as far as running back positions go, I've got kind of a hot take here. I think you guys are going to roll your eyes at me. I think pretty normal. I'm going to go ahead and say Javante Barnes is the best running back on this team. Can't Too say that ahead. when Marcus Major was injured. Yeah, he didn't even see, you know, and, and Eric Gray barely did anything. He had a couple okay, possessions. Okay, he had a, he had a couple possessions, but I guess I'll, let me let me clarify this. I'll say Eric Gray is the starter against UTEP. Javante Barnes starts by Texas. I think Javante Barnes reminded me a lot of Trey Sermon in the style that he ran with. Um, he's probably not going to run away from you, but he'll run through you a lot, run through a ton yeah. of arm tackles, um, and just run with a lot of anger. I could see him having that type of production level. It may not be that he ever starts just because coaches tend to say, hey, let's give the senior, the upperclassmen guys that starting designation, but he may be the finisher. Yeah. Corbin, what stuck out to you from the running back position? Mr. Walker? Yeah, has to be, right? Um now fool's again, I think, I, th- I think it's I think I do. I think it's fool's gold. But we'll say I think according to our Twitter poll, he was the number one most impressive uh, guy that people mm-hmm. saw on Saturday, and rightfully so. Uh, but I think part of that is always going to be someone you don't expect having a big day is always going to jump off the page, right? Mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel had a good day, but we kind of knew all about him, and I think there was more focus on him. So when someone's coming off the radar a bit, mm-hmm. I think that's uh, pretty natural just for a fan fan base. But yeah, I. Eric Gray still remains a question. I think he can be incredibly explosive in this offense, but where? I mean, at some point, do you do you see multiple running backs and he's he spends a little bit more time in the slot, especially knowing, you know, potentially a little bit thin on the receiver position. So he continues to be a question mark, but you saw there in the, the big long run, like he's got potential to break things open, but he hasn't yet in his time in Norman. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, if there's one thing that we know about Levy's offense, you know, and just going as you know, just going back to last year at Ole Miss, they want to run the ball 60 to 65 percent of the time. I'm not sure if, from a size and frame standpoint, I don't know if Eric Gray can handle you know 20 25 carries in between the tackles, you know, on a on a week in week out basis. So I know that they will be creative utilizing his skill skill set. Uh, you know, he is a superior athlete. Being able to get him out in space, you know, one on one against a defender is going to be key. Um, but that's why I think, you know, guys like Marcus Major and Javante Barnes, you know, two guys that are, uh, you know, maybe have, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 more pounds on, on them. Um, and they can kind of, you know, hold up to, you know, playing in between the tackles, um, taking a little bit more punishment, you know, on a play-by-play basis. But um, guys, wide receiver is a position. I do want to touch on these four right here. Marvin Mims. I mean, what more can you say at this point? The guy's a stud. Um, he's going to hey, put one, up big... one thing, Tyler, that may be interesting. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, going back to running back real fast, looking over old misses, uh, stats from last year, uh, three running backs with over a hundred carries, um, and all three of those over 500 yards. So spread the wealth. Yes. And so I, so I don't think Eric Gray has to carry that sort of weight, um, yeah. to, to have that beating when it's clear that Levy's going to emphasize multiple backs, keep the legs fresh throughout the season. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that is going to be interesting to monitor as well when you talk about the pace and the tempo in which this offense is going to play. There's going to we're going to get so many plays off in this game, especially if this offense is clicking. You're going to see, you know, kind of back up there to what we saw from the 2008 Oklahoma team led by Sam Bradford and you know offensive coordinator Josh Heupel, where these teams are going to be running close to 100 plays, you know, mm-hmm. game in and game out. So being able to have three different ball carriers spread the wealth out there, spread out some of those carries, that's going to keep those backs <clears throat> fresh all season long. Um, all. Wide receiver and tight ends, guys. I think Marvin Mims, like I said, he's a stud. I think that in this offensive system under Jeff Levy, he's going to pick up, put up big numbers as long as Dylan Gabriel stays healthy. Um, we, we all know what we're going to get from Drake Stoops. He's going to be Mr. Third Down, you know, kind of the guy who's going to do a lot of the dirty work, both in run blocking uh, and catching the football over the middle. I was hoping to see a little bit more from Jaleel Farouk in this game. Nothing really wowed me um, mm-hmm. on, on Saturday, but he did make a couple of nice competitive catches. And then, you know, guys, probably the most encouraging sign for me at the wide receiver position on Saturday was seeing Theo Weiss. Yep. When the play broke down, Dylan Gabriel scrambled left outside of the pocket. Theo was able to get open, uh, make a play that led to the one-yard touchdown. Um, so I think you've got it, you've got a clear top four in that room right now that Gundy's coaching. But I think that depth, and you know, we'll talk about it here in just a second. Obviously, we've lost one right wide receiver to the transfer portal already this week. I think that depth at the wide receiver position is a major area of concern and that's one that venables uh, hopefully they can get that addressed uh with transfer portal being a viable option now i'm not buying the Jaden gibson hype just yet i'm, I'm excited about him i think he will mm-hmm. be good at some point but this year i'm not quite there yet the one catch that he did have <laughs> i guess he had a couple but the one that everyone remembers where he went 95 yards Poor Dorian Plumley, a guy that you will never hear his name ever again. Uh, the dude is a walk-on from El Reno. That's awesome. Like making it out of El Reno football to OU, an accomplishment yeah. of it, itself, but clearly not the same type of athlete that Jane Gibson is. So he got burned pretty good. Micah Bowens made a great pass. And um, I think Gibson will have some you know catches this year. I just don't think he's going to be you know that depth piece that makes you feel real confident going forward. Because um, outside of those four guys that you mentioned, you got a real mixed bag. Cody Jackson, a guy that I was going to put on my portal watch. He beat me to the portal before I can even uh, notate him there. He actually mm-hmm. led the uh, red team in targets. I don't even remember any of those. That's how forgettable he was. So I just don't know where the depth is going to come from. I will say one thing that I do that stuck out off the page to me about Jaden Gibson was his Twitter comments after the game. And this is something that I think is a great sign for from where this program is, is a young wide receiver saying, hey, hand up. I was a bit nervous. That was a lot of freaking people I just played in front of. And that first half showed that I like it just it messed with me for a bit. I actually really appreciated that. And I think I'm more confident in him after that tweet than I was probably watching what he put onto the field. Because yeah, from from the start, I mean he had a pass, hit him right in the hands. Granted, yep. going back to Dylan Gabriel, t- take a little bit off. Um, but it's like you know, that was like, he, he had, a, um, for as much as the great, you know, long pass was there, a kid had a rough first half, but I really do appreciate a kid coming up young, raising his hand saying, wasn't my best. I'll be better. And that I think is a, well, a great statement to where the program's headed. And I think, you know, that's a sign of maturity. And I also mm-hmm. think that the, one of the biggest takeaways you can do from that is, yeah, he struggled. He dropped a couple of balls in the first half, but then having the opportunity to come back and have a 95-yard touchdown, that can kind of calm your nerves a little bit. And I think more than anything, that should give him confidence going into the offseason more than anything. You know, if he doesn't make that play, he probably comes out of that game, you know, scratching his head a little bit. You know, confidence is down. Nerves are still going to be there. But 
Uh, I'm not sure how much we'll see him in the rotation, but I definitely think that with his size and stature, he's a he's a red zone threat. Once you get down there inside the ten yard line, there's not too many quarterbacks in college football, especially in the Big Twelve, that can you know out jump or, or out athleticize a six foot five you know uh, wide receiver. So I think that we'll see some good things from Jane Gibson this fall. Um, offensive line. Well, hold on, hold on. We got to talk tight ends here. We just skipped right ends? over this. Talk about it. <laughs> well, talk about it. Man. That, that's kind of the interesting aspect of that because Daniel Parker was one of the guys that I wanted to watch coming into the game, and he was split out way more than I expected. He was targeted way more than I expected. I thought he would be more like a Brody Eldridge or Bubba Moses type that might just be a, a blocking situation, but him uh Braden Willis both those guys were thrown way out wide in a lot mm-hmm. of scenarios for some quick passes so that'll be interesting we'll see if maybe that can kind of provide some of that depth because they're going to be used a lot like wide receivers in that sense but also the blocking presence that they provide on those quick screens is, is going to be key because that's an extension mm-hmm. of your running game so I thought that was pretty interesting to, to see how that uh, worked out for the the Levy offense I think Daniel Parker caught the first pass on Saturday if, if I'm not I mistaken, so, yeah. he took that little little five-yard bubble route. But no, I, I think that Parker, um, he might be a little bit more involved in the passing game. I think that that was definitely encouraging to see because now you can kind of – I think it's you know it, it's not a, a, a well-kept secret that his strength as a tight end is his blocking ability from his time at Missouri. We've seen the highlights. So if he's able to catch the football and be a little bit more involved in the passing game, I think that gives Jeff Levy a lot more you know things that he can do where you're not having to pull him off the field anytime you want to try to throw the football. So, um, you know, I, I think the Braden Willis, you kind of know what you're going to get from him. I, I hope that he can, you know, take another step forward going into his final season in Oklahoma. Uh, and then Jace Llewellyn, I know that he's a guy that um, a lot of people around here have been thinking, is he too big to be a tight end? Are we going to have to bulk him up another 30 pounds and put him outside a tackle? Um, I, I think that as a true freshman, 18 years old, should still be in high school as well. I thought he did some really, really good things, especially in pass protection and in run blocking. So um, usually a true freshman that's playing on the line of scrimmage, that can be a little challenging at first when you're going up against some of those big boys. But I thought he held his own really well. And um, well, and Caden Helms didn't see too much out of him, but I definitely think that he's one where the offseason uh, is, is where he's going to have his biggest opportunity to make some gains in the weight room with Schmitty. Uh, and we'll see if he can't get on the field a little bit next fall as well. Guys transitioning to offensive line. Um, not sure about you all. Some good, yes. some bad. Um, it yes. was a, a nice nice mixed bag of not really sure what to expect from that group moving forward. But I think there was more good than I expected to see on Saturday. Yeah, definitely had the lowest bar for that position group of anybody just because everyone was split up. But I think the one thing that stood out to me was Tyler Guyton. Um, he was a dude that, mm-hmm. at least body-wise, he looked a lot better than I expected. Now he's got some things to work on. He needs to have better strength. He needs to have quicker feet. He's got to be able to use that leverage better. Um, you know, he's six foot seven, uh, low man usually wins in most of those situations. So he's got to be able to just have better technique. But the fact that he was out there playing left tackle, which is slightly less of importance when you have left-handed quarterback, but I thought that was pretty encouraging to see him out there, you know, in a, what it was a starting role for him. Um, I thought that was pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, being at the game or being at the stadium on Saturday, then going back and watch, watching some of the TV broadcasts. Uh, I think that Dusty Dvorak did a really good job, kind of breaking some of that down. It was tough to evaluate the offensive line group because, like you said, Adam, the the teams were split uh, on the wide side. You did have Savion Bird, Robert Conjo, McKay Matower, Anton Harrison, uh, Andrew Rain did not play, so didn't didn't get a chance to see him up close. Uh, but then on the also on the other side, you had Murray, Guyton, uh, Wanya Morris. 
Um, so I think that coming out of this game, watching those guys one-on-one, you could see a difference uh, maybe in the size and the frame of guys like Wanya Morris and Anton Harrison. You know, we said we said three months ago, if there was one position group that could benefit the most, especially early on with Jerry Schmidt coming back, becoming the new strength and conditioning coach at Oklahoma, it's the offensive line. So I really liked what I saw from this group, um, especially, like you said, Adam, a, a guy like Tyler Guyton, the TCU transfer, uh, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but he might have been OU's best tackle uh, on Saturday. So tackle was a position going into the season, you know, even though it was a spring game, I'm still going to have my concerns about. But when you look at Wanya Morris, Anton Harrison, Tyler Guyton, three guys for two spots, that's pretty good depth, I, I think. And that's something that Bill Beanbow and Jerry Schmidt going into this offseason, they can continue to build on those guys. And I think it's going to be very similar on the interior. You're going to have four or five guys competing for two guards and one center spot. Um, and, you know, there there is some good depth with uh, some really good potential. But then, like you said, Corbin, there were also some not very good moments on Saturday as well where we saw some of the newcomers still continue to struggle um, going into their second and third years on campus. Yeah, and I think the one thing that might help this team the most or this offensive line the most is just the pace. And the yes. fact that most defenses are not going to be used to that. So mm-hmm. I am I still feel good about this. I, I like that we have a new system in there to help uh, Beatenbow's group out a little bit here. So I'm not really all that concerned just because, like I said, the, the bar was so low coming into this game. Yeah. Guys, shifting over to the defensive line, I actually feel very similar to how I felt about the offensive line. Um, uh, there were some definitely some bright moments, especially Marcus Stripling, Ethan Downs. Mm-hmm. Both of them seem to have pretty good days. But then there were some times where there was zero pressure on the quarterback at all, and that uh, that front four was not getting the job done. So um, I think for looking at both sides, clearly strength, it just period, needs to be improved across the board. But uh, anybody stick out other than those two on the D-line side of things? Yeah, I want to start with Jordan Kelly. Um, I think that we finally saw why Brent Venables and Todd Bates have spoken so highly about this guy all, all spring. He was mm-hmm. disruptive uh, on the interior all game long. Uh, so Jordan Kelly definitely stuck out for me. I think that Jalen Redmond being lined up inside the entire game, I think that that's going to be an opportunity where those two can kind of work together and maybe give some offensive fronts, you know, uh, nightmares. And then, like, like you said, e- Ethan Downs, Reggie Grimes, I kind of feel like those are two guys where we know what to expect. They're going to make that next jump going into this upcoming season. I was really interested in seeing uh, two guys, uh, Marcus Stripling, who mm-hmm. was probably by far and away player of the game on the defensive side of the football, uh, had a couple of sacks, a few tackles for losses. Now, I will say that Marcus Stripling's, um, both of the sacks that he did have, weren't against either one of Oklahoma's starting tackles. So, um, you know, got to keep that in mind as well when, you know, kind of evaluating his performance as well. And then also uh, Jonah Lealu, am I saying that right? The the big guy? Um, probably he's not, a big but guy. keep going. Probably not. Probably not. So, but he's a big guy. I mean, you you look out there. I think that he has the potential to be uh, a difference maker out on the edge for Oklahoma. Now, I don't know if there's somebody on this team that is going to be able to have the same impact as, um, you know, um, like a a Nick Benito or an Eric Stryker. Um, it, it's going to be up to Miguel Chavis uh, and Brent Venables to get somebody up there to be a difference maker out on the edge. Um, But I liked what I saw from the defensive line. And just like with the O-line, when you've got everything split right down the middle, it's kind of hard to see how – it's kind of hard to forecast how this group would actually play uh, when you don't have your best four or five out there at one time. 
I just looked at the the line visually and the interior of the line looks small to me. And Jeffrey Johnson in particular, I don't know if it's the fact that he's wearing 77, but he just looks small. And I think he's Total. one of the bigger he's one of the bigger guys on the on the interior there. You have Jalen Redman who's kind of been bounced around between outside inside, moving all these gaps around. You've got this new scheme going on. I, that makes me nervous on the the interior guys there and that's a kind of a thorn in our side. Uh, over the last several years, maybe even the last decade, where we just haven't had very many guys that have been the war daddy, you know, type of, of body and impact there. The outside, you know, the edge guys, I feel great about. Ethan Downs, Marcus Stripling, Reggie Grimes. There's there's names there that even Clayton Smith, who looks like he might be a third stringer at this point, you know, but we know he's got tons of talent. I just think that's where I have a ton of confidence. But the interior makes me a little nervous. Well, I think we're also used to staring at Perry on Winfrey right there in the middle of that defense for the last two years. It doesn't True. get much bigger than that. So uh, I don't know. It remains to be seen. Um, but you, I think that as an Oklahoma fan, you've got to you've got to feel good coming out of this past weekend, knowing that you've got all of summer workouts, you've got fall camp coming up. Those guys are going to continue uh, to make strides uh, both in their technique and also in their you know their strength and size as well. So um, linebackers is another one where. Some good, some bad. A lot of familiar faces, but a lot of uh, a lot of encouraging uh, play from what I saw on Saturday. So, Corbin, starting with you, what would you think of uh, Deshaun White, Agwebu, Stutzman, and those guys? Is TD Roof the best linebacker we have? Oh, God. <laughs> At least I, the, whole time, the whole time I was thinking Curtis Bolton 2.0, but just a little bit smaller. Yeah, but he's clearly got the mind for the game. I mean, that's obvious. I think we yes. can all agree that like his mental capacity for the game, hopping into basically his dad's system. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's pretty obvious. Now the hope there is is that the more athletic linebackers can use this time over the summer to catch up to him mentally mm-hmm. and then obviously use that athleticism on the field. It was a quieter group to me. I can't say that it, anything really outside of I think one of the, uh, the first plays of the game was a big hit on uh, – Barnes. Uh, thank you very much. Um, but outside of that, it was just kind of, it seemed ho-hum. Nobody really stuck out to me positive or negatively, which probably is negative. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think this is probably the group that I, I look at with the most opportunity to improve over the next few months. Yeah. And they have to. They have to in this defense. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of all I, all I got there is that I, I be prepared Sooner Nation. I think you're going to see quite a bit of uh, TD roof uh, next next season. I was sitting in section four. I guess you were too, Tyler, so maybe you saw this, but the linebackers warmed up right in front of us before the game, and that's when I declared this team the national champions of 2022 because they just looked so good in warm-ups. Um, but I, I think there's, there's some talent there. Um, I'm excited to see where they go. You can tell that I think – People are really excited about Stutzman. People have basically considered him an All-American already. I'd say temper your expectations a little bit. He's coming on a little bit slower, but he's I think he's got the talent. He'll get there eventually, but just be prepared for this group to, to have some of those growing pains a little bit. But I think there's a ton of talent there that the ceiling can be super high um, between all the different guys that you have there. There's just so many options. Someone's going to pop, especially with Brent Venables coaching them up. And we saw that in between plays. That was pretty fun to watch him basically run all the way up to the line of scrimmage and choose somebody out while the the ball was about to be snapped and he had to run back out. But um, I I have high expectations for them, but it might take some time. 
And I think that was one of the things that we forgot to touch on whenever Brent did have their microphone during, you know, that earlier segment on this podcast. Um, it, it wasn't like something that we've seen before with Lincoln Riley where it was, okay, he would call a play, watch the play, then look down at his note card, look down at his play sheet. Okay, call in the next one. Every single play after the whistle was blown, Brent Venables was out there coaching somebody. It didn't matter if it was a linebacker, an offensive lineman, or a receiver. Venables never stopped coaching. And, and you know, I, I, that, that's encouraging as an Oklahoma fan, but that, that's, that's a football coach. That's not an offensive coordinator. Um, that's responsible for a team. So I think that, like you said, Corbin, linebacking position is a one where we've seen so much to Sean White. We've seen so much David Aguebu. What really is there more for us to expect and uh, for, for these guys to be able to do on the football field? But if there's one guy that can get the most out of these two and hopefully get them to where they're playing a little bit better going into their final season in Oklahoma, it is Brent Venables. But I, I think just by watching this and what we've seen last year, I think your starting linebackers are Deshaun White and Danny Stutzman. I think that at some point, the athleticism and I think that that has to come, that's got to rise to the top. You've got to get your best players out there. Now, it'll be up to Danny whether or not he can grasp the, uh, you know, the complexity of this defensive system and whether he can get out there. But um, Deshaun White and Danny Stutzman, that's a pretty good two-headed monster at uh, inside linebacker. Guys, let's shift over to the secondary because to me, this was the highlight of the defensive side of the ball was what we saw in the secondary. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you all feel, but to me, there was a different source of energy. Um, You saw guys sticking to guys. Um, Now, again, we're looking at a very thin wide receiver room. How much is there to test them? You know, you could probably argue that a little bit, but I, it seemed like this group uh, was a lot more aggressive uh, than what we've seen in the past. And uh, aggression can sometimes obviously be a huge factor in a positive way for you. It can also, you know, burn you on the uh, the butt in other ways as well. But overall, I think this group was the highlight of the uh, the defensive side of the ball. Absolutely. And it wasn't just the aggression on the passing plays. It was also in the run support. There were so many times where the safeties were flowing up to the ball. Um, in fact, Justin Harrington, I think, was the one guy that stood out the most to me in this position group, a guy that's fighting for his football life at this point. And he was the one that caused that fumble uh, on Tawi Walker at the goal line. There were a couple times where I thought Harrington really stood out to me. And if he still has the same type of speed that he people claimed he had before that ACL injury, I don't know how you keep him off the field. I think he'll be a nice rotation guy. He may not be the starter, but... I think he'll he'll be in the rotation there. And then you've got a bunch of guys that just were contributing, making nice plays, looking great in coverage, sticking with their guys. So, yeah, you have to be really encouraged about that. If there's one thing that this position group has not had over the last few years, it's depth. Uh, you, you, just looking at the cornerback positions, I think that obviously we didn't see DJ Graham play on Saturday. He was out hurt, um, kind of a precautionary thing. But I think you're looking at your two starting corners and Woody Washington and Kenai Walker. Kenai Walker, I thought, played – Really, really well. Outside of the one play on the first series where Gabriel was able to find Theo Weiss uh, on a broken play, um, you know, come to find out OU puts out a video. Kenai Walker actually slipped on that one, so it's not like he just got beat. Um, I, I think that safety is going to be w- one that's going to be very interesting. I think that Key Lawrence, he's finally going to be playing the position he was born to play, and when you're playing for Brent Venables and Brandon Hall, there's not a better place to be. Um, Billy Bowman, I thought that he looked really, really good at the safety position. A little bit smaller uh, in in terms of stature out there. I think that's one of the things that stood out to me. But, Adam, like you touched on, it didn't matter if it was a corner, a nickel, a safety. Anytime the running back even sniffed the second level of this defense, there were two defensive backs down there 
uh, putting them on the ground. So that's a lot different than what we've seen in Oklahoma over the last three to four years. And that I guess that kind of helps when you have a position coach that actually played the position and coaches that position. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, guys, my, my biggest takeaway from the defensive side of the football was the, the, the rotation of the four guys that played that nickelback or Venables calls it the cheetah position where when they come out in a 4-2-5, you've got that fifth defensive back that's kind of a hybrid between a linebacker uh, and, a, and a safety. So uh, I think it started out, it was Justin Broyles, Trey Morrison, Justin Harrington, and oh my God, I'm going to say it right now, and you guys are going to roll your eyes at me, the starting nickelback for this football team I love you, Justin Broyles. You've done tremendous things for this program. Trey Morrison, we'll see what you can do. Uh, Justin Harrington, I know you're fighting for your football life. Jaron Kanick has got to be your starting nickelback at Oklahoma. It's just different. The athleticism is off the charts compared to the other three guys in that room. The physicality is there. We've all seen the picture of Eric Gray taking the handoff, and you've got Stutzman and Jaron Kanick uh, running him down. So from a football, just a football player standpoint, you got to get your best guys out there on the field. If he can figure things out mentally, I think that it's a no-brainer. Jaron Kanick is your is your starting cheetah back. You might be right. I'm going to need to see a little bit more evidence before I, I get fully on board with that. But man, he looked good. He looked good out he in coverage. He's he's got the speed. He's bigger than Danny Stutzman already as a true freshman. So if he can really keep up with the the pass coverage there, that's dangerous for an offense. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Guys, transitioning to. Uh... The transfer portal. We discussed it a little bit before. Uh, we know now Cody Jackson is already in the portal. Um, I don't. I, he's a loss for depth's sake. I don't think he's a loss necessarily for at least what we've seen so far for talent's sake. Um, who else potentially are you worried about keeping an eye on that maybe from this current roster could end up in the transfer portal? I think you got to look I at had, Trevin West. Yeah. Uh, he was already in the portal once. He might make his way back there. So I'd look at that and then also the plethora of defensive backs that who knows if they're going to be a major contributor or not. DJ yeah. Graham seems more settled now, I think. I th- it would have been nice to see him play and make some, you know, some plays on the field. Yeah, but he's also put some things out on Twitter over the last couple of days that kind of makes you feel a little bit more at ease in terms about his situation and how happy it is being in Oklahoma. Uh, A couple defensive backs that I had, I had Bryson Washington as one. I'm not sure how much he's going to factor into that rotation and safety this year. And then, honestly, coming into the game, I had Kendall Dennis wrote down, and then he made that interception. Really, really good play that he picked off Dylan Gabriel. So um, we'll see if he can't find his way onto the field. And then, guys, I've got four offensive linemen that I think could be possibilities. Um, Marcus Hicks, Colin Montgomery, Daryl Simpson, and Aaron Parks. I forgot Daryl Simpson was on the team, to be honest. I don't know how these four get onto the field. Um, I I think that kind of like what we talked about with the offensive line performance on Saturday, there's there's seven or eight guys that we talked about that played well on Saturday that are going to factor into that five-man rotation. And then you also think about you've got Jake Taylor, and Jacob Sexton coming in behind that are going to be arriving in June. So guys like Colin Montgomery, Daryl Simpson, Aaron Parks, guys that haven't made it onto the field so far in their career, I think they're going to be out-recruited, and I just don't see any way that they're going to they're going to be on the field. So maybe they turn into an Ian McIver where they just want to play all four to five years at Oklahoma, and they're good with that. But I Bray think Walker. offensive line, Bray Walker – <laughs> he didn't look he didn't look bad he didn't look bad but going back to your point of just wanting to play at OU and just that's just that's what your career is going to be I, I, I don't know Aaron Parks is what a sophomore I think uh, so maybe yeah, maybe I a redshirt freshman sounds right 
Yeah, I think he's got time, guys. I mean, and man, I understand we've got, you know, a, a decent amount of 78 guys that could all play, but that's not a talk about a position of depth that is a big question mark. That to me is one. Um, but the only other thing, I think the only other guy I've got on my list is a guy like NRK. Where does he fit in this system? Is he kind of transitioned back, you know, towards the West Coast where he's from? He, to me, is a guy to kind of keep an eye on because um, I just, I'm not sure I see a fit. Um, and maybe a guy just looking to get back closer to home. I don't know. I kind of forgot he was on the team as well. Um, yeah. Adam, um, transfer portal, portal giveth, transfer portal taketh. Who is, what's a position group or two that OU needs to address um, going into this offseason? I would like to see an extra wide receiver come in. I think some depth there would be great. I think obviously quarterback would be one, but I just don't know what you get there. So those would be the two that I would, would really like to see something. And if there's, there's not defensive tackles in the transfer portal that can do much in my opinion, but if there was, that's where I would want somebody. I think Miami got the last one today and he was from Maryland. But the only other, the only thing is though is does a guy hop in the portal to go and play under Todd Bates? That's the only potential exception to I think what you're saying, Adam. Just because Todd Bates just ha- he has that so much weight as a position coach, you just wonder if a guy's like, hey, I- I'm good here. Could I be great transferring to Oklahoma and being under a guy like Bates? But to me, positions of need, it- it's always going to come back to both both sides of the uh, the line of scrimmage. You can never have too many big guys. Um, if they're out there, you got to go get them. Um, that's all I would add to what you said, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very similar. I had uh, backup quarterback. Oh, he's got to go get one from the portal. And then even before Cody Jackson entered the portal, I still thought, oh, you needed to take a wide receiver. Now I think they need to take two just because I think depth is a uh, could potentially be a serious problem if you lose one more guy to injury this fall. Uh, and then I had one more interior defensive lineman. I think that from an edge standpoint, stripling downs, grimes, uh, Clayton Smith, I think you're fine there for, for, for this season, but I still would like to see a little bit more beef or, like you said, Corbin, a little bit more size on the interior as well. So um, we'll, we'll see what Brendan Venables can do. May 1st this uh, at, at the end of this weekend, that is the deadline for players to enter the portal. Um, so I think things will be happening pretty quick. Yeah, kind of overshadowed by all the football was softball. Uh, they had a, a clean week again um, yep. with uh, the sweep of Kansas. It's about time. Kind of quiet, kind of quiet. Or uh, sorry, Iowa State. Yeah, I was thinking baseball played Kansas. Um, So sweep of Iowa State. I guess it's ho hum back to normal. Yeah, especially a ho hum Friday afternoon, um, winning six to four. Iowa State doesn't belong in the field with this team, Hmm. and so uh, it kind of seemed like you know maybe that got the girls in gear a little bit because then two run rules uh, to to round out the sweep, but. uh, but here we go, guys. It's not so much about this upcoming weekend. It's about the weekend after this, um, you know, but we'll get there eventually. So Kansas City on Thursday, um, Kansas City is 10 and 30 on the year. I would expect a very easy game for the Sooners there. And then at Kansas Friday through Sunday, Kansas is 15 and 28 on the season. Jeez. So I would expect four very easy victories. But then it's the the Bedlam series that we've been eyeing all season long, uh, playing Oklahoma State in Norman. The Cowgirls right now, winners of nine straight, 20 of their last 21, sweeping Texas uh, last weekend in Stillwater. And as much as the Sooners can potentially overlook this weekend heading into Bedlam, the Cowgirls can't 
going on at Florida State uh, this weekend for a three-game series. So uh, depending Ooh. on the rankings, you're looking anywhere from a number three to number six Florida State team. Um, and so that's going to be a huge matchup. But I tell you what, guys, um, what, what a move here by the Oklahoma State softball team to have the two final regular season uh, matchups. Five of these six games are going to be on the ESPN family of networks. Just that's a great job by a, by a growing softball program to put themselves in the midst of, you know, big time audiences. And that's what they're going to get the next two weekends with Florida State and obviously OU. So it'll be very interesting to kind of see how the Cowgirls handle that heading into Bedlam. Um, but guys, I mean, not much to talk about this weekend. The, the girls are 42 and one on the year. Expect that to be 46 and one by the time uh, this weekend wraps up. And then we can talk about Bedlam next week. Corbin, I know we ha- I know that she hasn't played much this year, but should we be worried that Mackenzie Donahue is no longer with the team? Ooh, that's just a weird situation, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, heard a great rumor. I yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I mean, a few I, rumors on this. Thank you, message board people. Oh God, the the, the Crimson Corner. It, it, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to dive in too much to it. I think we're fine um, because Alyssa Brito is a rock star. She's and just killing it. She's killing it. Yep. And if you really think about Mackenzie Donahue, everybody remembers the World Series games, which she was vital in this team winning a title. But that's it, man. I mean, that she didn't have much else to kind of. Um, you know, yep. put on her belt loop, if you will. But in yeah. this season, she hasn't been great either. So there's lots of things swirling out there about what went wrong, but I, I don't think you'll be seeing Mackenzie Donahue on this roster moving forward. Adam, let's go to baseball, man. Give the people what they want. Yeah, the entire segment is Adam's optimism because baseball <laughs> swept. They swept a conference opponent for the first time since 2019, and uh, I believe it was the first time they had a road sweep since something like 2014, 2012 wow. time frame. Mm-hmm. So it's been quite a while now. Kansas is really bad. Pretty much everybody's putting up 15, 20 runs on them. It's it's rough out there. And um, Saturday, the game unfolded. I think it went into something like 12, 14 extra innings there. Uh, the whole time, people were paying attention to the spring game. So there's actually an intense uh, finish happening there up in Lawrence. And then uh, as it stands right now, I think OU's down 0-4 in the midweek game against Oral Roberts in the third inning. We'll see how that turns out, trying to stay undefeated in the midweek uh, for Sooner Baseball. But overall, you got to like where this team is. Um, you know, you've got K-State coming up this weekend in Norman. A pretty critical series, an opportunity to make another sweep in conference play because K-State is not all that much better than Kansas. They're about one game better in conference. So it's an opportunity there to really keep the momentum rolling as you head into the end of the season. Uh, You've got some tough games coming up uh, on the road against TCU, currently the leader in the conference. You've got West Virginia, who I think OU's battling for that fourth, fifth spot for potentially, Uh, and then series against Texas Tech. So there's really no reprieve after this K-State series this weekend. And but as of th- as of you know right now the way things stand, OU's RPI looks like it's in great shape. Hasn't fallen uh, nearly all that much from playing some of these not so great teams. And you just like the momentum, uh, especially with getting Cade Horton into the weekend lineup as a starter. There uh, takes uh, takes some relief off of the bullpen uh, when they do come in. So things are shaping up nicely. I think postseason looks in great shape. You've you kind of have that basketball model that the men's team has had over the last several years of playing a nightmare schedule, but you get some good wins along the way because you're playing so many good teams. So consistency is the name of the game here. Got to finish out strong, got to finish out, you know, whether it's a game or just an entire series, got to, got to pull it through because the team's been so close 
you know, go out and beat TCU on the road, beat Texas Tech in a series. And yeah, I get so close. I know. RIP. Uh, Stay optimistic, Adam. <laughs> yeah. So entire segment, Adam's optimism. Not too much else to say there just because the, the competition hasn't been that great. But uh, this I might be the only time you does, ever get a full Adam's optimism segment here. It does seem like the Big 12 beat up on each other a bit uh, this past weekend. Um, I'm looking at the rankings now and OU's two games out of third place. I mean, is, is there a window here? So, you know, maybe me there's a chance you Tell me there's a chance to maybe break into the top three or four here. It's possible, but you really need to win one of your two series against TCU or Texas Tech, in my opinion, preferably Texas Tech, just because TCU is leading the conference right now. They've got further tap to fall. So if you can take it against Texas Tech, that'd be great. We'll, we'll see, though. Long way to go before before Fair that. Enough. Yeah. Well, let's finish up our spring sports talk. Um, talking a little bit of golf. Um, the women's team actually took home sixth place over the weekend in the Big 12 Championship Tournament at the clubs at Houston Oaks. Uh, Hannah Screen um, closed out her season with another top 10 finish, so way to go, Hannah. Um, but the women's season does come to an end over the weekend, so we'll see what they can do. Hopefully get things back on track going into 2023. Uh, different, different story, though, on the men's side. They are currently competing in the Big 12 Championships all the way down at Whispering Pines Golf Club in Trinity, Texas. Um, this was scheduled to be a 72-hole tournament, but unfortunately Mother Nature decided to step in, rained out the first day of the tournament, so we are just going to be playing 54 holes. Uh, and through two rounds of golf, uh, OU currently sits in second place, one stroke behind Texas. Uh, so tomorrow the guys will get back after it, and we'll see if Coach Hibble's squad can overcome the one-stroke lead that Texas has on them and win another Big 12 championship. But um, it, it, when talking about the men's golf program, Absolutely fantastic what they've been able to do, led by Chris Goddard up. This is the number one uh, team in the country. And then you look at the Big 12, the four teams at the top of the standings right now going into the final round tomorrow, four of the top ten teams in collegiate golf. So um, there's not a better conference uh, in America when it comes to maybe college baseball, um, but for sure college golf. So we'll see uh, what Coach Hibble's crew can do. Um, they can catch fire tomorrow on the back nine and hopefully bring them another championship and give some good momentum going into postseason play. Guys, for as far as, you know, rounding out the uh, the week, obviously NFL draft is um, starting on Thursday. Plenty of Sooners were in the combine. If we're to give a number of how many Sooners, I don't think any, I don't think we're going to see anything on Thursday. I think we're all in agreement there. But overall draft going through the entire weekend, what's your number on Sooners drafted this week? I've got Seven. five. You got seven? Okay. I had eight. Maybe I'm missing some guys. I've got uh, Isaiah Thomas, Perion Winfrey, Marquise Hayes, Kennedy Brooks, Tyrese Robinson. Gabe Burkich. Nick Benito, Perion Winfrey. Oh, Nick Benito. That's an obvious one. So six there. So somewhere between six and eight. I don't know about Burkich. I think he definitely gets drafted. I hope my Dallas Cowboys draft him. Um, We could definitely use a kicker. Yeah, I've got Benito, Winfrey, Thomas, Osamoa, Mike Woods. Uh, Gabe Burkage, Marquise Hayes, and then that rounds out seven for me. And then honorable mention, I don't know if DTY or Tyrese Robinson can, yeah. you know, maybe find yeah. their way in a sixth or seventh round. But uh, if OU can get sixth or seven, that's a really good showing. And it's just, it just is all the more invigorating why we were able to, why we weren't able to win a championship this past season with so much talent on that team. Um, it's crazy. Yep. I do want to say there's only one of us who um, expected over 70,000 people at the spring game. That's fair. Um, yeah. I want to say that. Yeah. And I'm also still sure. waiting on my trophy from the bets from last year. So I want to throw that in the, the pot as well. 
You haven't so, got it yet? No. <laughs> Where'd send, you send it? I sent it to... Oh, oh, Don't say my address. <laughs> my address. <laughs> Adam, close out real quick. Corbin, yeah. I'll, uh, we'll, everyone, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Make sure to uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow us on YouTube, The Mainline Podcast, and on Twitter as well, at The Mainline Pod. And we will see everyone again next week.